Welcome back to Grand Rounds Nation on ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Presenting the best Grand Rounds from across the country, I'm Dr. Matt Bernholz. In this episode, we're continuing a recent session from the University of Arizona College of Medicine titled Global Pediatrics, Treatment of Scorpion Envenomation. Let's return now to presenter Dr. Leslie Boyer from the University of Arizona. So first you have to design a study that will be statistically and medically and scientifically meaningful. So we decided we would try this. We would assume that the children in Morocco who receive antivenom are going to do almost as well as the children in Tucson. Maybe not quite as well. We want to stack the deck against us, ourselves, statistically. You want to assume that the drug isn't quite as good as you hope it is. And then we want to predict the behavior of the future placebo group by doing historical chart reviews and seeing how do kids do normally when they don't get antivenom. And then we'll do a sample size calculation based on whatever we think the strongest possible primary endpoint for the group will be. So we did a historical review. With the help of Rashida Suleimani, who is a physician and a professor in the medical school in Rabat, we pulled the charts on several hundred kids that had been managed through the poison control system of Morocco. The Morocco Poison Control Center is very different from an American poison center. It's actually fancier. It has four parts. It's actually built like the math building on main campus here, like a time sign with four wings. So it has one wing for administration, one for education, one for a laboratory, and one for the hotline. And they have the ability to do much more elaborate data analysis than we do here with poison centers in the U.S. So we took their data that included things like dobutamine drips on every case that it was possible to look at. And we decided that we would cull through it for the likely candidates to participate in a study. We mimicked the design that we'd done here, which had worked so well. We decided to go for only the sickest patients, because the sickest patients will show the most obvious difference if you treat them. So we looked for children with systemic signs that presented right after the sting. We didn't want to wait 24 hours because by the time you've been in shock for 24 hours, antivenom is not going to bring you back. So the poison center, the Centre Antipoisson du Maroc, provided us with 349 patients' worth of data. And we had to eliminate two of them because they were the wrong age. And 51 of them were mild, and 52 of them were late presenters. And that left us with 244 eligible cases. And what we looked for was, did they have an improvement in their grade of envenomation by any of the ways of looking at it within four hours, the same four-hour window that we did in our U.S. study? And the answer was no, they did not. Only 1.2% had spontaneous improvement, very similar to what we see here with patients admitted to UMC. When we did a similar historical chart review involving 100 UMC and TMC patients, there were three out of 100 that had spontaneous improvement during that time, and everyone else stayed sick. So this looks really similar from a numbers standpoint to what we've seen in Tucson. Well, then we needed to play with the statistics a little. So we said, okay, the placebo group has 1% recovering within four hours. Let's pretend that actually they're going to be better outcomes in the placebo group than that. Again, stacking the deck against ourselves for steady design. Let's imagine 5% are going to get better. One out of 20 are going to just get better during that four-hour period. And then in the other group, we think 98% will recover, but 
Let's pretend it's only 75%. Let's make the challenge as difficult as we can for ourselves. So let's compare how many patients would get better in each group, imagining it's 75% and 5%. So before we do the stats, we have to ask, is that medically important? Would it actually be of public health importance to the country of Morocco if you could make 75% of children better? And you know what? They're dying. The answer is yes. If you could make 75% of children better, even if you lost 25, that would be great. So we decided it's worth studying that. And so we did a power calculation, and we decided, you know, 24 to 30 would be a good number. 24, strictly speaking, would be the right number, but a few of them are going to be dropouts and incomplete. So we decided to go with 30 just to be safe. So we're going on the safe side every time we have to round off. Then you have to choose sites. So we went through the poison center data, and we looked at which are the hospitals that get the most of the worst. And it turns out there's one town called El Cala, And the hospital in El Cala is the site that has got to do the study because they have the most cases. And then Fez has a medical school and a pediatric residency training program and a really elegant, wonderful ICU. And it would be wrong to leave them out, but they only have a handful of cases. And then Marrakesh has a lot of patients and a really bad infrastructure and not a very good ICU. But if you needed more patients, maybe you could pull something together in Marrakesh. We've done site visits to all of these places now and have had heart-to-heart conversations with the physicians in all of them. And what we ended up doing was designing a double-blind placebo-controlled study, very similar to the one done at UMC. We want to do it. We have proposed to our colleagues in Morocco that we enroll 24 to 30 patients in a two-to-one ratio so that two-thirds of them will get the real antivenom and one-third will get the placebo And we're going to limit it to really sick children who present really quick after the sting. And we're going to have the doctors who normally take care of them provide them normal standard of care and assess them four hours later to see how they're doing. Of course, we've built lots of other details into this. We had to put safety measures in that were in excess of the safety measures we did here. For instance, they can't go home for 16 hours after the study because going home would be very dangerous if they weren't fully well yet. And now what? So we submitted it to the IRB at the medical school in Rabat. I flew over and participated in a conference on good clinical practice that they put on. I met the head of the national IRB, and he is an impressive man who really knows his stuff, and I I think is working very, very hard to put together a good IRB that's going to be capable of complying with all of the ICH standards, the WHO standards, and maybe to get an FWA for United States purposes. So we've submitted it to their group, and they're kind of daunted to have the very first clinical trial that they're presented be a placebo-controlled trial in critically ill babies. We've just pushed every button that an IRB can push. So they've told us they'll get back to us next week after their big discussion on it. And if they say yes, then the Ministry of Health has to decide whether to reopen the country to clinical trials, whether to grant us a site authorization. We think they will. But unfortunately, events in the Middle East have made it uncomfortable to be an absolute monarch this year. And forgive the phrasing, but everyone's concerned that heads may roll in the country. And in the event that the Minister of Health were to be ousted, we might fall behind by a year. So we're all just hoping that things will remain stable 
as stable as they are, in North Africa for a few more weeks until we can get authorization. Then, if it works, we're going to launch it in July, and I'll do a site visit to see how things are going at the hospitals during Ramadan in August. Ramadan's the perfect time to go because everybody sleeps in the day and stays up at night, just like a scorpion. And so we will not even have to change time zones, and we'll spend a week at night in the Ilkhala Pediatric Intensive Care Unit. It takes a lot of work. We're having to coordinate the efforts of about 100 people in Morocco in order to make this happen. It's very difficult to be an American citizen and female and tell Moroccan authorities what to do. So I pretend to be Mexican every chance I get, and I defer to men who speak Arabic at every opportunity. It is a very, very interesting cultural situation. We have a superb principal investigator in Dr. Rashida Soleimani, and she has chosen excellent pediatric intensivists in the two hospitals with ICUs and a very good chairman of pediatrics in the third hospital. And we are hoping that they will all continue to be interested in learning how to do a study like this. You know, I didn't take the time, because I thought I was going to run out, to explain how we developed the new antivenom. The new antivenom is developed identically to the one that's made for here, with the exception of the scorpions involved. We needed to obtain venom from North African scorpions in order to do it. So the horses that will be used specifically for this project have been vaccinated with three different species of North African and Middle Eastern scorpion antivenom. Our hope actually is that the product will be good for much more than Morocco, that you would be able to use it in Israel and Turkey as well. And so it's a polyvalent that should work against Laurus as well as Boothus and other local variants of scorpion. It works very well in rodents. The laboratory neutralizing potency is exactly where we want it to be, and so we are hopeful that it will work. Safety is a major consideration, especially when you're in a setting where you can't resuscitate from anaphylaxis. Historically, in the United States, when we used to have whole immunoglobulin antivenoms produced in horses or goats, the rate of acute allergic reaction was 10 to 15 percent, and the rate of serum sickness two weeks later was on the order of 60 to 90 percent. With the new FAB2 antivenoms, that are highly purified. And there really are only a couple of countries in the world that are making highly purified ones, but Mexico is one of them. The protein content is down to just a few milligrams per vial. It's very little. We did a prospective study in Arizona of 1,627 or something patients so far that have been treated with the scorpion antivenom here. And of those, we've had a 0.8% rate of rashes one week later. Not a single case of classical serum sickness. And in the acute period, out of the first 1,600, there were three acute reactions. One was a panic attack by a woman with a history of panic attacks. One was full-blown anaphylaxis in a child with a history of peanut allergy whose nurse ate a peanut butter sandwich during the infusion. And the third was a child who was being enrolled in the study for the third time, third scorpion sting that year, and almost unquestionably had an allergic reaction with a rash, not full-blown anaphylaxis, but the kind of thing that made you stop. So yes, it's possible to be allergic, but three out of 1,500, or maybe only one out of 1,500, is as good a record as any antivenom in history. So we think it's safe enough to use.
What's been done to characterize the different venoms of scorpions around the world? Quite a bit, actually. Um, Dr. Pisani is one of the people who's done more of that than anybody around. The molecular crystal structures of the active ion channel toxins have been defined in many, many, many species. It's known that among the broader family of scorpions, which are arachnids, you've got only one group, one family, which is the Boothidae, that has the type of ion channel toxins that are toxic to vertebrate animals. All the others, the ones that you find when you're digging around in the sand wash and you find a giant hairy scorpion, those all have toxins that are specific to creatures other than mammals, and they're not that potent. So among the Boothidae, we have only the one in Tucson, the Centroides sculpturatus. The Boothid scorpions are represented by several different groups in the Middle East, several groups in India, and they're found across North and South America. Within the Boothids, if you look at the structural and physiologic details of their venom components, any given scorpion, an individual, may have 15 components separatable on a gel that are toxic, of which only a couple of them are sodium channel toxins active against humans. These worldwide fall into an alpha and a beta category. And depending on the individual scorpion, you have more alpha or you have more beta. And it is believed on the basis of preliminary animal data that one has more neurotoxicity and the other has more cardiac toxicity. And we may discover in North Africa that we're dealing with more cardiotoxicity. So we don't really know. We think it's mixed everywhere, but there's a 70% structural homology among these toxin components, regardless of which of the boothid scorpions you're looking at. And antigenically, they're so close that it's conceivable one antivenom would do worldwide. But we're hedging our bets. We've made a, a special one for North Africa just to be safe. Whether we've looked at cause of death among the children that die in North Africa, and yes, we have, but it's really difficult because the standards of charting are different and the consequences of stating cause are different. Again, in a monarchy, you don't want to say anything that points fingers. In kind of heart-to-heart -heart discussions with the doctors, when you separate them out so that they're not near their peers from another hospital, what I have come to suspect is that children are dying of shock. They are not dying in the first few hours. They die the next day. And I think what's happening is they're coming in with a combination of pulmonary and cardiac effects. They're shocky early. And neurologic effects that's similar to in Mexico are kind of ignored. But they seem to be milder neurologic effects. When I show my videos, people say no. Our patients don't do that. So they come in, they get put on pressors and oxygen, and they're given intensive care that may or may not live up to the standards at this hospital and then they die a day later. The controversy stems from the question of whether they've had irreversible cardiac damage in the first hours, in which case antivenom won't work, or it's the cumulated, uh, cumulative effects of poor perfusion and anoxia that cause children to die the next day. I'm banking on it being inadequate supportive care. And if I'm correct, then this antivenom will save lives. If it turns out that it's all attributable to the different scorpions, then I'll be wrong. Thank you, everybody. You've been listening to a session of Grand Rounds from the University of Arizona College of Medicine, presented on ReachMD's series, Grand Rounds Nation. Be sure to join us again for the next episode of the nation's best Grand Rounds. Until then, 
I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz, and thanks for listening.